Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Count the cost first. That's Jesus' point in the gospel lesson today. See whether or not you have what is needed to complete the task, to finish the mission. If you don't, then don't begin lest someone ridicule you for falling short of your goal. And of course, Jesus' words are not just aimed at construction projects or at the leaders of nations who are contemplating taking military action. It's aimed first and foremost at all of us. People who will or will not be his disciples. And this comes about, it seems, because Jesus sees the large crowds that are following him. Now, in many churches today, the conventional wisdom is that large crowds are a good thing. Today, a lot of pastors and many of their congregations are all about having the biggest congregations, the largest facilities, the most programs. Evangelism strategies and ministry workshops and pastor's seminars are almost all aimed at getting more folks in the door so that your congregation will be larger and larger. Now, this would not necessarily be a bad thing if the congregation were growing because of the right reasons, that the word is being preached in its purity, and that the sacraments are being administered rightly as the Augsburg Confession defines the marks of the one true holy Christian church. But the difficulty with the so-called church growth movement is that its guiding principle seems to be do whatever it takes to get them in the door. And pastors and congregations who buy into that church growth model essentially have to buy into other such strategies and principles such as less scripture is better and the Lord's Supper ought not be celebrated at Sunday worship, if at all. And ritual and liturgy are passé. And no one likes traditional music, but only the music that has catchy tunes and has a strong beat and sounds like that stuff you hear on the radio every day. But these propositions really argue against themselves. On the one side, they claim that potential churchgoers are far too sophisticated to be affected and moved by God's word, and so for they must be swayed by modern marketing and the meeting of their felt needs. And yet, on the other hand, they assume that worship has to be dumbed down because apparently people today are not intelligent enough or educated enough or capable of concentrating for more than three minutes at a time. In part, this is why so many churches are making their Sunday services more what is called seeker-friendly. The priority is to try and bring in more and more people who run church by having lowest common denominator worship. That is, just turn them into events that are friendly and warm and easy and comfortable and upbeat. In other words, just make them happy. The problem with that approach, however, is that it completely denies what and who Christian worship is actually meant for. Worship is not where outreach takes place. Worship 
is for disciples. In fact, in the early church, the non-believers, such as those large crowds that were following Jesus in our gospel lesson, they were allowed to meet with the believers during the first part of the service, that is, throughout the readings and, and yes, even the sermon. You see, the church definitely wanted them to hear the good news about Jesus, that God incarnate had come to them to suffer and to die and to rise again for the forgiveness of their sins and to give them life eternal. But after that, those who were unbaptized and uncatechized had to leave the service. Non-believers were not even allowed to see the celebration of the mysteries, that is, the Lord's Supper, much less participate. You think closed communion is an invention of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? Think again. Go talk to the apostles if you have a problem with it. The Christian liturgy and proclamation was first and foremost for the initiated. It was for the baptized and the instructed. Because these people would be able to understand, for example, those tough words that Jesus spoke in our gospel lesson today. You see, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, but they were not really following him. They were tagging along because Jesus could cure the sick. He could do interesting deeds of power. And he could generally put on a good show. And sometimes even pastors fall into the trap of thinking, our church could have large crowds too if I just put on a good show. But if you read today's gospel lesson again, aren't Jesus' words meant to do just the opposite of that? Doesn't Jesus intend there to weed out those who are not willing to be disciples? To discourage those who just came to be entertained so that no one would be deceived into thinking that discipleship was easy or comfortable or suitable for the great masses of people. Rather, Jesus says there that if you want to be my disciples, you must be prepared to leave everything behind. You must be prepared to leave home and family and security and prosperity behind to come to follow me. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And Paul, too, wrote later in his epistles that discipleship comes at a, cro- comes at a cost and how the message of the crucified Savior was a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others. But these words, these words are the words of life. They're the kinds of things that we have to say in church without dumbing them down or softening them up for seekers who might be present for fear that they might find a suffering God uncomfortable or discipleship too demanding or too harsh. When believers gather for word and sacrament, these are precisely the words that we need to hear and that preachers need to proclaim. Those who would be Jesus' disciples must be able to count the cost and consider the sacrifice, and be prepared to renounce all to be his followers, followers of Jesus, who himself paid the cost, Jesus, who underwent the sacrifice for us. And let no one dare twist around the words of this text, or even ignore these sorts of texts, or only read selected lessons, so that we won't turn visitors off from hearing such a call from Jesus to take up their cross And follow him. No, Jesus is saying to all of us this morning 
This is what it means to be my disciple. It is costly. It does demand something of you. It involves cross-bearing and sacrifice and service. And if you are not willing to be my disciple, Jesus says, then go on. Go off with the large crowds. Go your own way. But realize, if you don't go with Christ, there is no other path that leads to anything but eternal death. And so many, of course, choose that wide, smooth, easy way rather than the narrow path. They ignore what lies at the end of that easier road, concocting all sorts of wishful ideas. You've heard many of them, haven't you? Maybe even you've said or thought a few of them yourself. Things like, well, I believe in Jesus, but organized religion just isn't for me. Or, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere about it. Or, a loving God wouldn't really condemn people who don't believe in Him to hell. Such lies sound pleasant and reasonable and tolerant and even charitable. But they're still lies. And the truth of sacrifice is hard. Especially the truth that while faith demands nothing of you, discipleship does. And Jesus spoke just as much about discipleship as he did about faith and salvation. The challenges that discipleship waves in your face makes it, seems inevi- makes it seem inevitable that the true church will always be small in numbers. Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, imprisoned and finally martyred by the Nazis for participating in a plot to rid Germany of Adolf Hitler, said this, True Christians will always be small in number. The true church will always consist of the few. Such words fly completely in the face of the church growth movement and that push for larger and larger numbers that are thought to be some indicator of success and effectiveness. Now, a growing congregation can be an indicator of a lot of things, but it is never a cause and effect indicator of faithfulness nor of true discipleship. Thankfully, our congregation is blessed with relatively stable numbers. We lose some members to relocations for jobs and such. We lose some to death. We lose some to other local congregations, Lutheran and otherwise. We seem to lose the most, however, to those who, in their unfortunate retreating, want to avoid worship and discipleship. But gladly, though, new individuals and families come to us as well. Austin continues to grow, bringing longtime Lutherans who find our worship and our preaching and teaching and our faithful administration of the sacraments here at St. Paul to be biblical and to be comforting. Others, finding no comfort or substance in the places they formerly worshipped, join us as well. Students from UT or Concordia or other area colleges join us for a time as they are students here, and we rejoice in their time among us. Our day school and our preschool bring families from both Christian and non-Christian backgrounds to our doors, and many are captured by the Spirit working through the Word, and they become part of our greater family. Although all of these comings bring joy, and all of the departures bring heartache, We should never be so foolish or so arrogant to think that numbers alone indicate discipleship or faithfulness in our members. 
nor does any sort of mix of programs or staff or expansion of particular activities indicate the success or the faithfulness of any church. You see, the faithfulness of a believer is, in a very real sense, an individual thing. It's very personal. I cannot determine whether or not you are a faithful believer. That can be witnessed only by God looking into your heart and your life. Discipleship, on the other hand, is somewhat more outward and obvious to others. Does he or she attend worship faithfully? Do they join us in the study of God's Word and apply it in his or her life? Does he or she assist others by participating in the needs of the church? Does he or she consistently and substantially give the financial blessings that the Lord has given them? But some of these things, other than the congregational worship and Bible study, are often done quietly and unobserved. I can make some reasonable judgments about your discipleship based on outward signs, but I can't be completely confident in their accuracy. Which leaves all of us, both collectively and as individuals, wondering, will I be found faithful? Will I ever be considered by God a true disciple? And the answer to both questions is, you really don't know. Because both true faithfulness and true discipleship do not come from you. They come from Jesus Christ, who calls us to come and follow Him. True discipleship, just like true faithfulness, comes from Jesus Christ alone. Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, writes that it is all about Jesus Christ Himself and not about the individual believer. He writes, The call goes forth, and it is at once followed by the response of obedience. The response of the disciple is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. How could the call of Jesus immediately evoke obedience? For the simple reason that the cause behind the immediate following of call by response is Jesus Christ himself. It is Jesus who calls, and because it is Jesus the disciple follows at once. The encounter is a testimony to the absolute, direct, and unaccountable authority of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Christ, he has the authority to call and to demand obedience to his word. Jesus commands simply, follow me, run along behind me, and the disciple follows in Jesus' footsteps for the sake of the call of Jesus. End quote. And that is how anyone can be a disciple of Jesus. By Jesus calling us and we merely following in his footsteps. By Jesus commanding us to come and we run behind him. Responding to his power, to his authority to demand obedience. By hearing his call and striving to live a Christ-like life in obedience to that call. This means living lives of love, of sacrifice, and of service. This means giving ourselves away, of taking up our cross and coming after Jesus. That's the cost of discipleship, obedience to your Lord. Obedience that is not always comfortable, not always easy, and very rarely entertaining. But it's obedience that creates in us and sustains in us true faith. True faith in the one true God, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
in their blessed holy names. Amen.